good morning and welcome to Flat Out Recovery. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. And we are all here, and Ronnie has escaped from Alton Towers. <laughs> was, that, was that last week? Yeah, it was. Yes. It was last week, yes. Oh, God. <laughs> so, no, I was just thinking, I had a bus lane ticket, and I was trying to work out what day it was, and it worked it out two weeks ago. It was that Alton Towers, but you were saying one week ago. I've got to look you were at Alton Towers last week, because I've just scheduled the episode. Which we anyway. recorded while you were there. Anyway, okay. So how was it? Yeah, it was alright, it was good, it was nice. It was, it was a good company, which kind of makes it, doesn't it really? It depends who you go with. You know, same ride, same weather, same everything else, but different people and it could be short. What but about the queuing? The queue wasn't too bad, to be fair. I mean, for all the towers, I mean, the longest time we queued for was two hours, which is a long time, but I've queued for longer than that before. But the rest of the queue was about 50 minutes. We were sitting there laughing actually, going like we finished the podcast and wow, that was over really quickly. But Ronnie's probably still waiting in line for an ice cream. <laughs> probably, yeah. But it wasn't that busy to be fair. It was a good, nice day, nice weather, and like I said, nice company. Yeah, because when we go out and do these things, clean and sober, it's a very different experience, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the places you've been and done things and not remember a fucking thing. I don't even know where I was there. Oh, there's a picture of me, isn't there? What do you mean I was there? Okay, if there's a picture, that means I was there. But I don't remember anything. How's the week been for everybody else? Good? It's my birthday, yes, sir. Yeah? Happy birthday. 21 again. For the 18th time. <laughs> oh, we're that close, are we? Yeah. It's a number, that's all. Um, day over 28. No, it was decent. I'm usually absolutely smashed on my birthday, so yeah, it was nice. He went by me, got me a cake, and then big candles and that, which was a bit embarrassing. It's a miracle that I made it this long. That's the thing I think about, is that, you know, I look at the number and I think, dear God, no. But then when I've looked at the number, it's just like, fucking hell, I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody would have bet on me being this old. <laughs> Least of all me. Yeah. <laughs> That's why my life's such a shambles because I never planned on getting past 25. Yeah. <laughs> like every year since then, it's You've just been, been winging it since. Yeah. <laughs> I got to 30 and I thought I'll live to about 35, so I'm alright, I'm sweet. That time went down the pan. Still here. And if we talk about the doing things, clean and sober, and celebrating things clean and sober, it can feel a bit odd. Mm, Thing yeah. like the birthday and someone gets you a cake and, the, and there's all of this, and you're just thinking, when actually it's quite a nice thing to do and it's something we grudgingly get used to I think in recovery because we perhaps didn't have it while we were off our faces and we certainly didn't take sober trips to Alton Towers or trips anywhere it's after the second time I've gone sober the first time was a nightmare like I said it was because of the company because that can colour a whole day can't it yeah definitely I don't think I've had a birthday sober. Every time a birthday comes up, I've removed myself from all social media. I can't stand the perfunctory birthday wishes I get. If I was to get some authentic card from someone who I felt like was still close to me, I'd be happy with it. The thing is, you never get an authentic card, do you? You get Moonpig at best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I can't stand the routine messages on Facebook because it's bullshit because no one's been in contact with me for years. And then they're still performing that. It just pisses but me off. That's why people keep in contact with it nowadays, don't they? It, it I don't use it. I'm off grid, I call it. I don't think it's as complicated <laughs> yeah. or as 
fantastical as off-grid. <laughs> Off-grid's a CIA thing, Ronnie. Doesn't mean you're doing black ops at Alton Towers. <laughs> I'm just going to buy a switch on fucking Tinder and it says off-grid or on-grid, yeah. social yeah. status. He's on the roller coaster. Oh, so going on Tinder then coming off it makes you a member of MI6, does it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm on the office. You probably are still on it. You just don't realise. Yeah, Tinder's not social media, really. I got talking to a girl on there last year, and it turns out she used to go with a friend of mine 20 years ago. Well, it's all linked, though, isn't it? It's all, like, incestuous links and stuff, isn't it? Six degrees of separation. Mm. I wonder how six degrees of separation applies if you were to put it purely through an addictive alcoholic filter. So you take every single person on the earth and via six degrees of separation, how likely is it that they would find one or more alcoholics or addicts? Highly and how quickly? I don't think it would need to be six degrees. No, it wouldn't, would it? No. If a person doesn't know anyone themselves directly, they'd only need one, wouldn't they? Because I mean, the six degrees of separation thing, it sounds absurd, but actually it's not in terms of who you meet in the course of your life and certainly in the circles that I've moved in and I move in now, it's not unfeasible at all. But in terms of addiction, it would be a minor thing, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. Because I think people perhaps want to believe that they don't know any alcoholics or addicts or they don't want to know that they know any or they dismiss them or pretend they're not there. But anyone that genuinely says, oh, well, I don't know anyone, they only need to talk to Brian at work. But anyone who doesn't know an alcoholic or a drug addict in their personal life is living in denial. They're not aware of what addiction and alcoholism is because there'll be someone in their life and they might just be someone that they go, oh, well, yeah, he's just a bit of a laugh. He's a character. Yeah. By character, it means he's going to put his cock in your pint while you're in the toilet in the pub. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that what characters do nowadays, isn't it? When I was in addiction, I didn't know I was an addict. I just thought I had a drug problem. I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I didn't even look at the drugs that I'd been taking the whole of my life. Mm. I'm getting smashed up. It was the drink that took me down. And I thought, well, I'm going to nod and say, yeah, I totally agree. I'm an alcoholic. But thinking, oh, they don't realise I've already cracked it. It's all about your unconscious, isn't it? Because if I'm drinking to a point whereby it is seriously impeding my progress and seriously impacting upon my life, then I do know something's wrong. I just won't admit it. I may not know exactly what it is that's wrong, I may not have a full handle on it, but I don't want to confront it. And denial is all about the things I don't want to confront, the things I don't want to deal with, whatever they are. I think I thought it was a case of do I need to deal with it? Because when I was Oh, that's the other thing, isn't it? Is it am I okay? Yeah, yeah, it's, it, there's nothing major going on here. I yeah. can manage. I'm still going to work. I'm still saying, yes, I know I probably would have sold more cars had I not got smashed over the weekend, but I was still selling enough cars to keep me job and comfortable. So, But work was part of my denial. Mm. I can still go to work. I can still put a suit on every morning. I can still do this. Therefore, I mustn't have a problem. I was working in a treatment centre. I was running the treatment centre and supervising staff and running groups. And then going so out at lunchtime and smoking crack. You were running groups and helping people who were addicted. Ronnie was out test driving cars. 
And I was advising parents of children on how to cope with their drug problems. <laughs> no denial here, Mama. <laughs> None whatsoever. It's been the wind the windows down in the car because of the smell of the booze, man. <laughs> What, during a test drive? It's the new air freshener, it's Jaeger Meister. He's drinking. <laughs> I used to hear the, the wives say to their partners, he's drinking, I think. He's been drinking, he smells. Can you not smell it? Just wind the window down, love, and get a discount. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what happens? Please don't say anything and you'll get a hefty discount on yeah. But it is important to do our thing because it's everywhere and it's there in us when we're doing what we're doing. It's there in other people that we see, particularly in early recovery, or who are in treatment or on the way towards treatment, but also we see it in our own family, we see it in our friend. And then you have that awful thing that you have happen, and it happens to all of us if we go through rehab in a dry house environment, where we're in denial about someone else relapsing. Where it's happened, and we don't want to believe it's happening, and we're pretending to ourselves that we can't smell the booze, or we can't see the eyes, no, no, they don't look grey, they must just be tired. No, they're not slurring his words. And then when we find out that that's been happening for, what, three weeks, it's like, why the fuck did I say anything or see anything? Mm. Actually, I did see something, but I didn't want to. We had that, didn't we, in our house with a guy who was staying with us and he was not getting up until 10 minutes before group and we were in the afternoon group as well, so he was like rolling out of bed at sort of lunchtime and coming down at past one, two o'clock in the morning to cook himself food and stuff and it's just like all these little alarm bells that were going off and just thought, well, it's just, you know, some people just live like that. Mm. But the reality is that he's probably the only person in the house that was living like that, so it should have been. Yeah. There's some things though that where he was more sociable. I thought he was trying to go out of his way to be sociable because he knew that he was just in his room gaming all the time. Mm. So he was doing the better thing. But he was, he was being sociable because he was trolling. Yeah. yeah. But I was away for the weekend, actually. I'd gone back to see my daughter, and when I came back, he, he'd gone. I don't think the impact of something like that is diminished over time, either. I think every time someone does something like that, there's still this, why didn't I see it sooner? There's still this, oh, God, did we really miss it? Even though you see it again and again and again if you stay in the environment. And I don't think we ever really fully eradicate denial from our system. There's always the, this is how I could have done it differently. Yeah. This is how I could have done it differently for me these days is about what I do when I make a mistake. Because mm. if I make a mistake, I have to look at it as being, okay, it is a mistake, that's all. It's a mistake. I won't do that again. And this is what I'll do to make sure I don't do it again. And this is what I'm going to learn from it. And this is what I might have done differently. But what I'm not going to do is dwell on it and keep dwelling on what I did wrong rather than looking at what I can do right. Because if someone relapses in a dry house scenario, okay, it's done, it's dusted, they're gone. However, the next time something like that happens, what am I going to do in the positive? And it's quite difficult to look at that because it means fully accepting that this is going to keep happening. Yeah, it's like taking a little step to an inventory, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah. what could I have done better? Or what can I do better next time I'm faced with that same scenario or a similar one if someone exhibits the same behaviour how do I address it rather than letting it get to the point where it's unworkable it's pretty crushing when, when people's behaviours are exactly the same, there's no indicators mm -hmm. of any sense of a relapse coming mm -hmm. I've brought it to a couple of high schools but some of the guys I used to live with to me it's kind of ignored there's one guy asking for money when he was away for the weekend 
it was sort of put on our shoulders as people who lived there to sort of watch him almost afterwards and then I was being asked to be doing this this and this and uh, and they said they could have just tested him but there was another guy like his self-esteem was very low you could see it coming a mile off and I brought it up and I brought it up and then it was as if I was being blamed for kind of like bullying him almost he did actually call me a bully for bringing up his behaviours all the time and then mm. about a week later he relapsed it sort of put me off just even wanting to be I was just like well it's not my responsibility mm. it pissed me off because the staff should have been doing more about it and it was it, I was doing what I needed to do my side of the street was clean if, if you want to put it like that it's not my responsibility to be on people if they relapse this is the thing isn't it because we're kind of encouraged to look out for each other and look after each other and then when you do pull someone on their behaviour in a group in a house group setting then you're like accused of getting up in their face and it's just like well you know you can't have it both ways either you want us to look out for each other and pull each other on our behaviour to prevent relapse or you want us all to turn a blind eye and then blame us when someone does use you can't we have a limit to our capabilities we only see in hindsight everything that directly led up to that relapse we never see it as it's happening it's always in hindsight and with that in mind no matter how much i try and help someone if they're going to pick up they're going to pick up anyway yeah it's more about how i attempt to help them once they have picked up but i also have to accept that if i attempt to help them when they have picked up then my words may fall on deaf ears mm. and i'm not going to carry on doing that for six months because i've got my own shit to deal with but i am going to make some attempt to begin with because we talked about this a, a little while back, didn't we? About the person doing meetings out of town with the invisible sponsor. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was someone in our house when it was never brought to support workers' attention. Actually, this guy wasn't attending any of the meetings that everyone else in the house went to, and, and they weren't being sponsored by anybody that we knew from any fellowships, and it was all a bit invisible. And then when, when that happened, it was kind of obvious that that was going to happen. It might not have done if we'd sort of stepped in a bit earlier, I guess, but that person was unapproachable in that yeah. way anyway they would just bat it off and deny it a person has had experience with loads of different organisations of that type then you, you probably know how to deceive <laughs> bullshit the staff yeah. which he did do yeah, uh, previously yeah, yeah. so yeah he'd been he'd been around a little bit he, he knew <laughs> who to say what to and when some of the staff was personal friends which was, makes it very difficult because it's like when a client is going into the bookies with one of the staff and do you know what I mean? Just think, well, yeah. <laughs> I can't, can't really pull you on anything because if we do, there's just going to be huge amounts of denial, of not just from them, but from the staff member as well. But there's a limit to how much we can do anyway as individuals. I can't take responsibility for someone else's relapse, and I can't take responsibility for someone else's recovery. I can do whatever I can to help them. I can attempt to guide them. I can attempt to suggest to them. I can listen to their pity pop shit but there is still a limit on what I can do because I can't do anything for them and if people do stuff that's contradictory sometimes I don't really make any hoo-bar about it because it doesn't directly affect me and it doesn't endanger anyone else the thing about being in a dry house though is that if someone is you suspect on the pop or on the drugs you've got to say something for the safety of other people and that's where it gets difficult, especially when you've got the kind of relationships you've just described. 
they're treatment hoppers, people who've been around every treatment centre there is several times, like an insane roundabout. Of course they know everyone. They've got their script. And you're thinking, well, what's the purpose of this? Yeah, tourists. But ultimately, <laughs> the thing with rehab is, is to get through it, isn't it? <laughs> Amateurs and tourists yeah. and... Yeah, they've got a European rail card. Yeah. What rehab, was... Rehab discount card. Rehab discount. <laughs> <laughs> or buy like Rehab reward point card. Yeah. I get the biggest room in the house because I've been... Every time months. you go in, you get 10 points. <laughs> you get 10 free food banks. Yeah. You see, the reuser system, the organisation, I mean, reuser system where it's... If you suspect there's something up with somebody, you can just scan a code mm. and it will go through to the management team you don't have to disclose who sent it you don't have to disclose your name or anything like that yeah and then they can address it rather than going through the house group because at the end of the day it's all very wild the staff coming in saying right i want you all to turn on each other in your house group but they can go away the manager can leave that house but then you've got a house full of people who are probably you're changing the dynamics every single week all the time and sometimes that can be good but most times it turns out bad because you just end up more arguments and you know this it just becomes uncomfortable to live and if you're living in an uncomfortable environment you're closer to a relapse anyway so I think the reporting in confidence appears to be working okay because like you say you could be worried about a really good friend be worried about how that friendship's gonna although you're saving their life and you know to be fair I'd rather lose a friend than save their life than the way around I haven't actually used it yet but I suppose there's also the fact that when people do pick up and either think they're getting away with it or don't care, they're expecting to be accused. They're expecting to have a person to blame for accusing them. They've prepared an indignant response. How dare you suggest that I'm using? Of course they were mistaken when they said I was in the pub. Of course I wasn't there. Prove it. Because it's always this knee-jerk defensive, isn't it? So they're waiting for a name. Right, oh, it was him, was it? Well, you should see what he was doing, on, and all that comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'll yeah. probably make you feel, they, they'll, be like, they'll yeah, make you feel guilty. Yeah, and they're nervous. ready to be upset, yeah. and they're ready to be angry, whereas what Ronnie's saying, that would negate that, wouldn't it? Because mm. they've got no one to aim it at. Yeah. That guy that came in and was bouncing around, and the guy that he came into and behaved in that way in front of actually kind of contacted the staff and said, look, you know, clearly off his nut and then when he got tested and thrown out he kicked off saying well you shouldn't have told the staff because I was going to tell them tomorrow anyway oh yeah yeah <laughs> like, I was going to oh, say tomorrow you anyway you can't retrospectively rush yourself up yeah you know just I mean? want like, one more night please <laughs> you shouldn't have told them I'd been using because I was going to how do I know that honest so, I was well, you could have told me you were going to. Yeah, you could have told me that you were going. You could have been honest out. about it in the first place. <laughs> oh no, of course you weren't honest in the first place. I wonder why. I wonder why there's this great string of dishonesties following you around, like having the seven dwarves, the seven dishonesties <laughs> pottering around behind me. <laughs> Where were you most in denial? I was in denial. That was in denial. When I was doing the NA steps, I mean, it was talking about denial, and I. Was, but I was never in denial about my using. I knew it was bad. I knew it was gonna cause me issues. I knew it was causing me problems. So I wasn't in denial, because I knew. My sponsor said to me something like, well, denial can mean a different thing, because you didn't know that you could have 
a better life or your life would have been so much better using denial that you could improve on your life any further than what it already was and that's why you continued drinking and taking drugs and you'd given up because you had no faith that if you stopped you'd be happier in the long run but I was in denial apparently being in denial about being in denial so I was in denial that it was my responsibility. I thought if people just owned up to what they'd done to me in the past and everything would be fine. Yeah, and having a men's party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Making amends to me, and I, I wouldn't have to do anything to anyone because I've not hurt anyone ever. So. It'd be like having an avatar, wouldn't it? <laughs> you wander about with the dishonesties trooping about after you, and then suddenly you wander about with something else going around after you. <laughs> it all develops over time, but all the denial stuff. It's actually quite personalised, isn't it? Like mm. you say, Ronnie, being in denial about being in denial. Mm. In that you thought you were clear about it because you knew that your use was problematic. Yeah, but that's only the beginning, isn't it? That's just the beginning. And I like this idea of being in denial of the fact that it was my responsibility. Mm. I didn't see what I'd done wrong, and I'm therefore seeing what other people do. I had an incredible filter on that because I did a lot of things that were actually good, particularly while I was teaching. There's no way I looked at anything that was bad. It was like having this magnifier and minimizer going on at the same time. So you've got a microscope times 3000 on everything good that you've done. And then you've got a telescope that's looking at Mars to look at mm. the other one. And yeah, we don't want responsibility. And we don't want the truth. And we don't want to confront problems. And that's the denial on top of the denial, isn't it? Yeah, I think because I was on the street user for a long time and the way that I funded that was shoplifting, I was in a lot of denial about the harm that I was causing these businesses because I justified it by saying, well, they earn billions in profit every year, so I'm really just kind of... Yeah. Which is why it's, it's okay just, to steal from yeah, supermarkets. It's just, it's just me yeah. getting a discount back on all the money that I've spent in their supermarkets before. <laughs> That's a hell of a justification. <laughs> they could have sold me that, that stuff way, way cheaper than they did. So by me, how dare it, they? All I'm doing is bringing it back down to cost price. <laughs> I'm Robin Hood. I am <laughs> Robin Hood. How dare they rip me? Robin bastard. <laughs> Robin, Robin in the hood, wondering about stealing from supermarkets because they owe him. <laughs> <laughs> they should be paying for this crack. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. their prices are too high. I can't afford my drugs. They've so already accounted it. for you in their profit and loss sheets, oh, though, haven't they? Yeah. So, you know, they know there's going to be a thief and it's my turn. And that, again, if it's denial of the harm I'm causing, it's again something that I don't want to take responsibility for and I don't want to confront. The weight of your pain is far worse than anything else you've done, supposedly. Yeah, exactly. And uh, thematically, you know, Ronnie, you acknowledge that you've got problematic drug and alcohol use, but do you actually want to confront dealing with it? I would suggest not until you move to the place where you're saying, actually, yeah, I do need to confront this. Mm -hmm. Whereas Aaron is saying, I didn't think it was my responsibility. Again, it, I was redressing the balance with Tesco and Sainsbury's. <laughs> and, and Spencer's, I only stole cookie. Yeah. And that's about avoiding. <laughs> Waitrose! They said self service, isn't it self service? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a critical point because denial is not just simply that's not true. Mm. There's so much more to it. But I have something very similar to you, Ronnie, in that 
I was working in a ridiculously pressurised job, which I did very, very well. And therefore, how could alcohol really be a problem? Because I was managing to do this job. And I refused to see that I needed to do anything about it. I refused to see that I could do something about it. I just resigned myself to say, oh, this is it. However, I'm doing all right, aren't I? I just thought I was and better at drinking and taking drugs than everyone else. Well, yeah. Because I took more. The thing is, if you do that, but you still work, then mm -hmm. clearly you're not like these people that can't get up in the morning. Yeah. I used to just think, if you're in this level of pain, then of course you're going to drink. <laughs> you always look at your origin story, like why you are like this. It was cause and effect. It wasn't my. It wasn't because of me. It was because of all these other aspects. It was deterministic. It was their fault. Yeah. Well, I didn't ask to be born, and I'm in so much pain. You'd be yeah, in pain too yeah. if you were me. The Hollywood step <laughs> The hubris of having me as a baby. <laughs> Gerard, yeah, I wanted to sue my parents for making me born. Sue them. Sue them. Yeah. <laughs> there was a thing on Facebook the other day where some woman had actually taken her parents to court and sued them for having her without her permission. <laughs> she was like, they should have contacted Only me in America. medium to ask whether or not I wanted to be born because they never told me that I'd have to grow up and be an adult and take responsibility that I don't want. <laughs> what? <laughs> now there's denial for you. <laughs> My parents didn't contact me before I was born and ask me if I wanted to come from the spirit world into this world. That's really just someone who's not very well. It's insane, isn't it? Mm. But the Americans are... And wasting so, a courtroom's yeah. time with that. <laughs> Let's make a case out of it. <laughs> the lawyers are going, yes, we've got a right loon here. We'll make a fortune. We'll drag this out. I'm going to get the medium in the room. Have they entered the room? No, we'll after a job. We'll get her and her parents to both pay loads of money for solicitors' fees, and at the end of it, it'll just get thrown out by a judge. It's <laughs> complete lunacy anyway. Do you think normies <laughs> get denial in the same way? Okay, not over alcohol and drugs, but do you think they get denial in the same way? Yeah, not in the same way, not as a absurd as we do, but... The benefit of being in recovery, any catastrophic thing that happens to someone, it makes them reflect on what their life has been, and if you have just gone through life about anything like that occurring, you can just carry on with your ruinous defence mechanism. Mm. There isn't much challenge against it. You know, if you've been doing your 9 to 5, you've been travelling, seemingly well mm. you haven't got any opposition anywhere i might be wrong and i'd say to him that the only reason that you go through life is because you've got no opposition i'm your only opposition now. <laughs> 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 but you happily welcomes it like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i see a lot of normies in denial sometimes over death sometimes over medical diagnosis yeah. sometimes over work situations and very frequently over people like us going back to the six degrees thing again Normies are very frequently in denial over the neighbour who does this, or Uncle John who they don't see every time they go and visit, or whoever, because actually in order for me to maintain my normal life and all its boundaries and all of this, I can't admit that this person is part of it. Because if I admit this person is part of it, it means I've got to confront in some way the way I deal with them. Mm. Whereas if I tell the kids that they're just not there very often because they're very busy at work, which is a lie and a fiction, which the kids will later discover was a lie and a fiction. But I need to do this to maintain my flat line. Because yeah. my flat line is me being normal and I don't want things outside that that's going to disrupt it. If you people who have known certain diagnoses, maybe, or abuses they've had, and you know, whenever they're told their parents, 
they felt completely rejected, but it was off the back of their complete denial of, mm. of that thing, calling that person a liar and stuff, because they couldn't bear to think yeah. that that had occurred. That's a, that's quite a regular occurrence in that domain of sexual abuse. Opens up a massive yeah. can of worms. Yeah. But it brings that stuff about, we were talking about earlier, about, you know, what could I have done to stop that happening? And I don't want to look at that because then I've got to, like, say, confront that. What, what could I have done to prevent that? The, the truth is nothing probably denial on the one hand is I don't want to admit this mm. I don't want to confront this I don't want to take any responsibility around the way I behave around this so I'm just going to brush it under the carpet I don't want to accept that this is really happening I want to find some other explanation mm. however cloud cuckoo but I don't want to acknowledge that this is a real thing I don't want to accept that there will be consequences for this. So I need to pretend it's not there because then if I pretend it's not there, I can pretend the consequences aren't coming. And that's why when people get in denial over diagnoses or death or loss of any kind, that when they finally do crack and they finally do see that there are consequences, it's so fucking seismic. Whereas if they've leveled themselves with it to begin with when the consequences come they're not so hard well, it's like the thing of it isn't it of having that moment of clarity when you are still using and drinking and knowing I've got to go to rehab and actually doing it while you're still off your face because you can do that because it makes the going into rehab or going into the rooms that much easier because mm. you've already accepted there are a hell of a lot of consequences on the way Whereas you turn up in rehab because you're sick of your family moaning at you, has it really sunk in yet? Yeah, of course not. My brother took his own life and the, the only way that some of the family members could cope with that was to view it as if he'd had a heart attack. Yeah. Because it came out of nowhere, he got bitten by a tick and he had Lyme disease and he started the treatment and then he just went, yeah, fuck it. Because he was like a man's man. He didn't do doctors and stuff like that really. You know, he cut his hand open like massively just sewed it up himself he wasn't one for complaining and he got Lyme disease and then I didn't realise until I looked it up a little way down the line after his death but one of the symptoms of it is that these massive dark crushing depressions come out of nowhere if you're not treated for it properly he literally <coughs> got up one morning made his breakfast made his sandwiches for lunch went out to the shed and hung himself and the only way certain members of the family could deal with it because he was the last person on earth that would have done that and the only way they could cope with it was to label it as he'd had a heart attack. So mm. the denial was just massive. I had to see it for what it was. I still don't believe it to this day, but I know the facts of the matter. Because it was so unbelievable, the only way for people to cope with it was to label it as something completely different, which is nuts, really. I label it as something that I'm comfortable with yeah. believing. Yeah, if I can hand and write, yes, he's dead at the age that he was, and, and that's okay, because it's, again, a medical condition. My um, means of accepting mm. that is flawed, which yeah. means there will be consequences further along the line. Absolutely, yeah. Which is why acceptance takes many levels in recovery, doesn't it? You can say till you're blue in the face, I accept this, but until you live that, you're not facing the consequences and the responsibility. No. That's that one stuff around, you know, we admit that we're 
addicts. The admitting part is alright, but you have to accept it. And it talks mm. about it in the big book, you know. I need to concede, fully concede to my inner myself. It's alright going, yeah, I admit I'm an addict. That's not going to fucking stop you from using. I knew I was an addict at 23. Mm. <laughs> it didn't stop me using until I was 40. Mm. 17 years of knowing and living in denial about needing to do something about it, really. It wasn't really my issue. It was other people's reaction to my use. Oh, yeah, how dare problem. they react like that? <laughs> I mean. How dare they think that of me? <laughs> yeah, it was other people's issue with my drug use. It wasn't mine. They're making it up. <laughs> They're all out to get me. Why don't they just stop complaining about me, constantly borrowing and stealing from them? Why don't they just get on with Why don't they just give me the money? You know? What <laughs> do they mean, I'm embarrassing them? <laughs> they wouldn't hide it away in their purse. Well, they're embarrassing me. Yeah, Leave yeah. it on the side for me. Bastards, why aren't they inviting me to their party? Leave it on the side yeah. for me. Then I won't have to rummage through your purse or your yeah. wallet. Dear Ronnie, here's your drug money. Had to go to the shops. See you soon, maybe. <laughs> Next time you need to borrow. <laughs> give us a shout. Even though we're talking predominantly about denial, it, it still comes back to the R word again, doesn't it? The R word. Um, it still comes back to responsibility. Yeah. Because until I'm prepared to do that, I get nowhere. And that's not necessarily just about being responsible for my actions. Because I'm not responsible for the actions of other people, but I am responsible for the way I react to other people. But in terms of me actually managing life in any way, shape or form, if I don't take responsibility for anything in my life, I'm not going to move at all, am I? Which is beyond mere denial. It's this, I'm actually going to engage or not. I have to get through denial properly in order to engage, but when I am engaged, I still can't have this idea that, oh no, it's, I've done enough now. I've done enough, so I don't need to do any more, and I'll be all right. Cue relapse. Because it's the most common thing I see in, in people in treatment, early doors. The, the ones who think they've got far enough, and you can tell. Mm. And invariably it means that they don't want to be responsible for what they've actually done. They don't want to be particularly responsible for what they do now. They just want it handed to them on a piece of paper. You do this, you do that. Get your unrecovered certificate. <laughs> it, it comes down to, from what you said at the start, about normies, do they do not like weirdo? If we don't accept responsibility for our behaviours and reflections, how we react to people, we're going to die. I mean, they can still be functioning effectively all over yeah, the place. Yeah. But what they won't do is suddenly pick up a whole load of drink and drugs. So it's more expedient for us, obviously. But I have to accept that I'm still going to encounter that denial in other people out there. Because in my cloud cuckoo thinking, when I've just left treatment, I think that everybody's going to behave sensibly. I suddenly find out that no, this is not the case. Other people are irresponsible and feral and yeah. uncompromising and unreasonable. How dare they? I've gone through all this trouble to go through recovery and they're still treating me like this. Fucking cheek. Don't they know who I think I am? Those are just normal people. <laughs> yeah, and those are just normal people going about normal things. Yeah, I know people I've gone through treatment with and they're more feral than when they went in, like, yeah. what's happened to you? They've got worse. Along with a couple of relapses. Some well, some relapses are inevitable, aren't they? Some people don't realise that you've got to change. It's like, nah, <laughs> why are you? Do you think maybe it's like when you're in a dry house situation, you just 
soak up other people's character defects. <laughs> <laughs> Just stop and synthesize them <laughs> into a new defect. Yeah, yeah. Turn into a twat by osmosis. <laughs> that happens. Somebody it does because some people start morphing to suit the people they're around, don't they? Yeah. Old behaviours. Mm. We were talking about this yesterday around neurodivergence and how careful you have to be with certain things being taken on certain aspects of the 12 steps and then because it, it saves you're neurodivergent in lots of different combinations of that and then just blindly going along with stuff without even really understanding mm. it. I don't know how you would accommodate that to be honest because you can't just ask people when they come through the door but do you, do you know what so I mean? No, you no, know, you yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's a bit of me, that is. I think I just... Well, I do that a lot. I mirror people quite a lot. It doesn't mean there's any deliberation no, no, if you do. Because no, no. so somebody will say something and it will trigger your thoughts and your thinking pattern. Yes, yeah. I did that kind of stuff and I used to get told off for doing that. You're just saying what he said. I did it. So I'm saying it from my experience. I'd never used to understand what they was actually asking me. Yeah, there's a difference between like what you're talking about, like mirroring what other people do in a kind of a healthy way, mm. and just parroting. Yeah, I was trying to explain, but I just wanted to understand how you want me to answer the question, mm. and that's what I was getting confused with when I was in recovering. In the end, I just didn't talk about crashing cars every five minutes ever again. That's all I tend to talk about. <laughs> but you are right. There's going to be people go through with, with whatever and they can't grasp it, don't understand. I don't think I fully understand some of it. Like the whole higher power stuff, that's a massive thing to grasp. You try and understand some stuff, so ignorance is bliss sometimes. Just, yeah, is that what happens if I do that? Okay, I'll do that. It'll work for a couple of weeks, and then, and then I'll start thinking about it. And I'm like, well, my higher power is gravity, because that's what holds everything together. We were joking about this yesterday. It's just a massive thing. Maybe I overthink things, I analyse mm. things too, too much. Surely not. <laughs> Surely not. Sitting in a room full of people in recovery. Surely not. You surely don't overanalyze things. Along with the rest of us. Everything's going really well for a couple of weeks, and then I start thinking about it, and all of a sudden. Oh shit! Oh shit! I felt bad then because I was like being really quiet. It's almost because it was him having a conversation with me the other day, and I was just like, you were saying like overthinking as well. I don't do that. <laughs> no, that's what you do, not me. You yeah. overthink your overthinking. Yeah. Even your overthinking. Overthinking. It's just thinking about me. It's an absolute nightmare. Because, because I'm like, I can be critical of things in the task step, and then you do feel guilty about expressing it. Sometimes you try to separate from my actual recovery because you can be critical. That's the problem. When I was first read like some of the big book and stuff like that, I was being hypercritical, but I still have reservations with certain things. There's a difference between being critical per se and asking critical questions. Yeah. And those are two entirely different things. Yeah. Well, you talked about that book that guy wrote where he just spent the first 90 pages just slagging mm. off AA in the 12-step yeah. program. That, that's criticising. Whereas if you questioned mm. why is this like this or why does this work in this way, that's... Critical thinking is yeah. almost obsolete these days. But... Critical thinking does not actually mean I'm criticising something. Yeah. It means that I'm challenging something. Yeah. And sometimes I will challenge something playing devil's advocate. Yeah. Because so I want to hear them explain it. It's, it's 
it's better to sit here and you say that because that's how I my position on it. I think it's when you meet certain people in recovery or in different fellowships where that open-mindedness and that, that challenging isn't there. And they think that if you are doing that, that you're just anti-recovery. And yeah, sadly, that's not up. purely a, a feature of recovery. It's a feature of the society in which we now yeah. live mm -hmm. where asking critical questions is either poo-poo, there's been this sort of intellectual pursuit we don't do anymore, or we're supposed to just believe all this bullshit that's on Twitter and on Facebook and all over the, the mass media. And we're not even meant to question some of the stuff that's going on in politics and in our wider cultural life. Well, anytime you um, criticise it, it's called, you're called a conspiracy theorist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Open-mindedness, which obviously we hold as pressures, and we see in some meetings and not in others, in some scenarios and not in others. Open-mindedness means that I accept someone challenging what I'm saying. doesn't mean I agree with them, I don't have to, but I do have to accept that they're entitled to do that. And because they're doing that, it doesn't mean that they're being a shit. I think it's healthy to question what, you know. Absolutely. The 12-step program particularly, if you don't understand something, you have to ask about it, don't you? Of course. Because a lot of people will just go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you actually say, well, what does, you know, that word that I've just read to you from the mm. book, what does that mean? They go, uh, well, you can't understand it if you don't even know what that one word in that, you know, that's why I've been loving book study meetings. Read for a yeah, passage yeah, yeah, and then yeah. other people give their own perspective on it and somewhere in amongst mm. that is kind of, you know, find how you understand it because mm -hmm. it's not always clear how things are mm -hmm. from that book it was written a long time ago in a different language really and to just see it and nod along you know a lot of people that's how they end up screwed up at the end of it they go been through the steps well, do you understand them not really by learning <laughs> to question I also learned to find out answers for myself mm. that's an hour gone as per ever yeah and we always do it one way or another, and we always seem to do it thematically as well. There's obviously that some body clocks are still on the. Uh, there's obviously yes, I think there's muscle memory no, involved in this now. Circadian rhythm of the podcast. It even accommodates people being absent and coming back in, and it's, uh, it accommodates people coming late because of traffic. Do you think if we all just weren't in here at eleven o'clock on a Tuesday morning, and I came in later? And put this on and everything. Do you think there'd be a podcast just there? Schrodinger's podcast. Schrodinger's <laughs> podcast. It'd just be there. That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we have exhausted our time for this week. If you've heard anything that has resonated with you, either you or someone you know and love, in any way, then do seek help. There's plenty of it out there. And Google Recovery Rehab. A-A-N-A-C-A, etc. There are loads of things out there. Some of them cost money, some of them don't, but you can find out a lot of stuff before you even have to think about putting out in your pocket. More important to know whether you need to do something or not. And with that, have a wonderful weekend, a wonderful week and a wonderful weekend. And we'll be back next week. And hopefully we'll all be back in the room and it will be all of us on the podcast. It won't be this imaginary ghost that lives in here that would be recording the podcast if we weren't here. <laughs> so it's, it's good night for me. Good, good, good night. night. Good night. Good night.